slowly, taking a long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Even when we're a week late, because we're releasing, recording this episode, and the words are hard for me today, people. We're recording this episode a day after it should have come out, but that's okay. This is winning slowly, and this has been a long year. But you know what? Steven, I'm Chris. You're Steven. That's right. It's the end of the year. We did That's it. Right. We, we did we the did thing. It. So. We made it all the way through the year. This <laughs> I is may be very tired, but we did it. <laughs> the 22nd episode. That is the right. The most episodes we've ever recorded in a season. And this one's actually going to be fun. It's like not going to be a <laughs> crash landing like some other season enders. It's, it's true. I mean, well, we say that. We haven't actually recorded the rest of this episode or the season conclusion true. yet, so it could be a crash landing, but be. we don't expect it to. Yeah, I mean, we have recorded some season enders, my <laughs> yeah, friends, where yeah. we're like, look, we're just going to we're, we're going to slam gonna say this thing now. into the Yeah, we're going to slam this thing into the station at about 80 miles an hour. But this is not that. We actually planned and read Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. And, and, and it was so it was such good. a delight. So good. Let's get yeah. it out of the way up front. This was not a book that we would have expected to read, given how we planned to start the season. That's okay. It was a book that really fit, and it ended up being a delightful capper to the season. Yeah. So we're going to yeah, do something so- a little different here. This book doesn't really require examination in quite the same way that some of the others do. I mean, you can. We, we could probably but, make that work. Yeah. But it doesn't really require it. It's more of a delightful romp that says good and interesting things. So here's how we're wrapping up the season. This, episode 22, will cover all of Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. Yep. As an aside, Mr. Penumbra's has an apostrophe in it, and Robin Sloan's has an apostrophe in it. So when you say Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore... Also, there's a hyphen between 24 and hour. There's a lot of extra punctuation in this There's a lot of punctuation going on here. Yeah. We're yeah. going to do this in one episode, and then we'll record our season conclusion episode. And then we're going to take a break because, well, as I said at the opening, I'm tired. And I think Stephen yeah. is too. This has been yeah. a year, people. Have you noticed? Yeah. Have you noticed? Yeah. We won't be back until at least middle of March. So... At Get least. ready for a long, cold winter of re-listening <laughs> to Winning Slowly episodes that you like, because you won't get any new ones. A, f- a friend told me he listened to the first episode recently, and I just kind of laughed Ooh, and said, what are you no. doing? No, don't do it. Go to episode 0.14. Although, I will say that given that people keep asking me about the Pope, I there's, we <laughs> talked about... It's the first thing we did. The we covered Pope. it. In the very first episode and how his communication strategies work. It is, yeah, it's been a year and we're very excited to be ending it. But we are also happy to be talking about Mr. Penumbra's. Mr. Penumbra's is a book that is basically about what you can know from books and physical objects and what you can know from digital cloud-based knowledge and whether those are the same thing. They're not. And also about love. And also about knitting, museums, provenance systems, typography, typography, mountain climb, well, (laughs) mountain climbing, rock climbing, Google, secret societies, eternal life, airplanes, trains, dungeons and dragons. 
I mean, it, he, he didn't call it D&D, but it was D&D. Yeah, pretty much. This book has everything. <laughs> a, a Cooking. 3D set designer. <laughs> right. ILM. It's, it's all there. It's amazing. And you're like, wow, how long is this book? It's not really pages. that long. <laughs> yeah. It's just sort of like Neil Stevenson at double speed with a smile on his face. It's just like, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> that is an outstanding description. And someone should email that to Robin Sloan because I think he would love it. Yeah, it's it's really a fantastic book. The premise is that a man in San Francisco loses his job and gets a job at the world's weirdest bookstore, where half of the books are normal books and the other half are large, very carefully bound tomes of ancient to relatively contemporary uh, age that are entirely in code and mm-hmm. people come in at all hours of the night, which is why it's a 24 hour bookstore mm-hmm. and say, I need this book now. And you're like, okay, I'll go get it. And they don't mean the fancy new books. Usually. No, not usually. Sometimes they, well, one character does actually have the audacity <laughs> to walk out with both one of the fancy old code books and a modern and a pop thriller. Yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah. And also I forgot that Google ads plays a prominent yes. role in yes. this book, which is pretty great. And including by bringing to the author or to the lead character, I should say, not the author, his girlfriend. It's yeah. who works at Google and yeah. there go with and, the plot. Yeah. So this book is really just a brilliant romp about the joy of books on the one hand and the sort of intimidating but not always effective power of digital tools. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's a lot that we could say about it. You can it's like an accordion. Like we could spend an infinite amount of podcast time, which is not <laughs> an infinite amount of real time, but we could spend like the whole 30 minutes just like describing the plot because again, He's he zings through a lot of things really fast. Mm-hmm. Not not ever so much that you feel like you're being jerked around, but just enough that you're like having a, a lot of fun at all uh-huh. times. There is no drag. It is not a slow contemplative novel. It is somehow a mystery adventure story about a bunch of old books, which is kind yeah. of magical. This is Robin Sloan's talent. He does the same thing about making bread in his second novel, Sourdough. It's quite impressive. But a friend of mine had recently been reading books by people like Dostoevsky and then picked this up at my recommendation. And he said, yeah, it felt weirdly fast paced. And I said, yeah, though, admittedly, I was just reading Dostoevsky and I, I could not but laugh at that point. Cause yeah, Dostoevsky's yeah. pacing and Robin Sloan's pacing are different. Not the brothers Karamazov. Let <laughs> no, me tell you. Not even a little bit. Also, you can tell who's talking to each other in this book, which you can't in the brothers Karamazov. <laughs> it's That's why I never finished translations it. help, but oh, yes. my gosh. Not the way he wrote it, though. I had like... uh, Anyway, that's not for this episode. Someday we'll have an expiatory episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Book Rants by Chris and Steven. (laughs) I think the thing that I enjoyed most about this book was... And this is what I would say for Sourdough as well. So I'll commend that to you as being in a similar vein, though with a very different subject matter. Robin Sloan is not a tech critic, but Robin Sloan is also not 
a techno optimist or a futurist or any of that. He's kind of like the cheerful novelist cousin of Zeynep Tufeki, in fact. He he looks at tech. This is me nodding. <laughs> Steven's nodding vigorously on the video here. He looks at tech and he likes a lot of things about it. I mean, Robin Sloan's current project is making an isomorphic layout video game with text driven adventure style to it it's it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be really fun i can't wait to buy it from him because it everything he puts up about it i think i want this game yeah he likes technology there's basically an ode to the programming language ruby in the early sections of this book robin sloan likes programming he likes computers he likes tech and some of the things he can do and he also likes punching google in the gut just He, he likes punching Google in the gut, but he also has this kind of admiring respect for the power there and some of the possibilities it has. There's this scene that's a moment of failure for all of Google's massive technology, <laughs> but it's also this kind of delightful, like, look how much power we can throw at this problem. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. And there's that kind of mix of, isn't this awesome? But also... It doesn't actually solve the problem. And that's kind of the thing that Robin Sloan manages to do here as someone who lives in San Francisco. And you can tell he adores San Francisco as a city and as a place, including all the absurdity that comes out of being the home and hub for all of these tech giants. And he has that same feeling for here, Google in sourdough. It's for kind of AI things and robotics and Mm. the future. Yeah. But it's this mix of... Yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff here, and there's something to be appreciated and admired about the audacity of some of these things, but also they can confuse people and mislead people. They can they can distract people from things that are right in front of their faces, and they can lead people to a kind of hubris of thinking that computers will solve everything, have all the answers, are the only way to approach things, rather than being a good thing that's a tool but not everything but also the way that our intrepid narrator lead character gets into the whole mystery is by using a computer Mm -hmm. writing a ruby program writing a ruby program so there is there is a, a tension here where you know it's the more i read of sloan it's no wonder that chris and i like really like his writing because it's like oh yeah like we feel the same way like (laughs) technology is awesome and also sort of comically terrible at times like right you know sort of ominous and evil but also like (laughs) inept and bumbling like awesome and and also amazing (laughs) and awesome yeah yeah it's also i would say that if he's kind of the cheerful novel writing cousin of zeynep tufeki he's kind of like the non-jaded nephew of of Alan Jacobs. Oh yeah. yeah Alan yeah. Jacobs is like the curmudgeonly old guy about you know tech what's and wrong? we appreciate his <laughs> everything. everything. Except the stuff I like. We, we got it right. right. <laughs> and and Sloan, you can see why Jacobs really likes Sloan because yeah. he's like the yeah. cheerful nephew who's yeah. like, uh, Uncle Alan, yeah. it's okay. We can, we can <laughs> have fun along fine. the way too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually I think the, I think the overall sort of argument here is that is... is this seems dumb, but it's sort of like, it's going to be fine. Like, <laughs> like he right. goes through like the worst and the best of technology and comes out with like, people are people. It's going to be fine, which right. I really want to believe that. And, and in the context of this story, it's super great and makes me believe that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's, and also it helps that it is insanely funny. <laughs> 
it oh my gosh i laughed so Chris hard and, and i have been sending jokes back and forth about this yeah. book because it's yeah. so funny and some of them are like beyond the scope and range of this podcast but i will commend them to you anyway because they are funny <laughs> Um, but even just the stuff about the tech and the bookstore, like there's a yeah. whole section about how to use a, a moving ladder in a library, uh-huh. <laughs> which is just the funniest thing. Like you get the mo- momentum just right and you slide just right. And there's and this awesome lean. feeling when you stop and you, you <laughs> lean out because you didn't quite make it and you grab the book without falling over. Lean, my boy, lean. <laughs> The the characters all just have this kind of sparkle to them. It's it's really lovely. Yeah. And that humor, I think, is one of the things that is genuinely missing in honestly everywhere. Yeah. Anybody who's actually thinking about stuff, but maybe also like just discourse in general yeah. right now. It's everything must be serious. And the thing I like about Sloan here perhaps more than anything else, is that he's unwilling to take these things so seriously. Yeah. Google takes itself very seriously. Yeah. And a lot of the lampooning he does in this book is not of Google, <laughs> but of how seriously Google takes itself. Yes. It's like, this is really cool technology. But the on it, it's the not- ongoing joke about the Google uh, leadership committee is one of the funniest <laughs> low-key jokes of the entire book because he never sells a punchline it just keeps going and you're like right this itself is yep. the punchline <laughs> right and you meet museum curators and they're somehow exactly what you would think of as a caricature of a museum curator but they're not quite a caricature they're it's, just delightfully yeah, themselves just kinda, you know i've met that person <laughs> Yeah. And there's a joy and love of people oh, in yeah. it. Oh, yeah. That is probably my favorite part, even more yeah. than the books, is that, like, even the bad people in this book are treated with, like, a joie de vivre. Like, he wasn't always bad. Like, some things happened. Like, things happened. <laughs> right. right. And, like, you know, it's it's not entirely convincing for the big bad, but, like, they do give you enough that, like, if you want to feel sympathetic for the big bad, you can do it. And and there's the door left open of like he could he could turn out okay. He could come back That's from where true. he's at. They do. They do leave that door. He does leave that door open at the end. So I think it's a really fascinating collection of ideas. And he I you know, at first when I read this book, I'm like, it's a short book and it is packed full of stuff and the it moves really fast. I don't know why it takes him so long to write these books, right? This isn't this isn't a Neil Stevenson novel where it's like, well, it's literally 900 pages long. Like, it just took or a Brandon while. Or Brandon Sanderson at 1220 yeah, like, for the latest one. Yeah, it's just like, obviously, just literally writing out all the words in order takes a while. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kind of get how this happens because this thing is so tightly wound it's so tightly organized and there's so many things packed into it that the, the editing on this, I can imagine that yeah. there, I, I mean, I know that there's two extra chapters that were excised because in the audiobook version, which I forgot to mention, audiobooks play a prominent role in this as well, which they is do. hilarious. And extra content in audiobooks plays an important role uh, in this Which is book, why there's extra chapters in the audiobook, which I didn't go okay, and now listen I have to. Go to. Get the audiobook. Yeah, there's two extra chapters apparently, which is like, on the one hand, is like, yeah, that's not surprising. But at the same time, I'm like, but what could they say? 
Like everything <laughs> right. that needs to be said has been said. And so I think that this book was probably way, 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 way longer. And he cut it down to this. And that's why it took so long. Yeah, it's like one of those movies where every single thing that appears in the movie is there for a reason. And it's not one of those movies where it's like every one of them is there for a trick reason or something like that. It's that everything has a purpose. And some of those purposes are just to make you laugh. And some of those purposes are to say, hmm, hmm, okay. And some of them are to say, you remember how we did this 500 years ago and people got really wound up about it? still happening yeah i felt once again the great and deep connection to the printing press as an agent of change here oh yeah because he's reflecting on and this is how it ended up being such a great capper to the season he's reflecting here on a uh, okay minor spoiler spoiler horn go read seriously people just go read the book i don't want to spoil this for you please stop the podcast here read the book nothing we've said up to this point has really spoiled anything what i'm about to say is going to spoil some things there's a secret society, Stephen here is is looking at me, of which Mr. Penumbra is a part. I gave them the spoiler horn. What I know, I know. I'm just like, <laughs> there's spoilers and then there's spoilers. I'm, I'm not going to give away the final okay, note okay. because the last 50 pages were just magical, they are great. especially for someone like Chris Kreitcho. And Stephen Caradini. They're great. So as long as you're not touching those, go ahead. There's a secret society and it's obsessed with the question of immortality and they think the secret to immortality and to resurrection like actual resurrection is hidden in a code from people at the end of the printing press revolution era the late 1500s early 1600s and there's a secret code and this is what all the secret codes are about and there's something by the typographer for the great printer and that's the mystery and that's the secret and they go digging into it and the the answer and how they find the answer in particular Lovely. are utterly delightful, and I will not spoil those for no you. No computers were harmed. But the questions there around technological change and around how you think and how knowledge is transferred and how knowledge confers a kind of immortality on publishers and all the questions around book printing and how book printing is transformed in the era of digital media when books can be scanned and mass analyzed and what can that tell you and what can that not tell you and it can tell you lots of interesting things but it can't solve the puzzle can't do some things for google you. throws all of its computing power at it and can't solve the puzzle it's a really great scene it's it's so great we have all the computing power for three seconds we have all the computing power <laughs> She's so sad afterward. Yeah, it sort of ruins their relationship. <laughs> but they get back together at the end. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, that that reflection on the way that technology can seem like magic. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that he really is pulling together these two threads of the feeling. This book feels like a book. And of course, he's riffing on a fantasy author that he made up along the way. And the idea of Dungeons and Dragons style magic and wizards and so on. So he's explicitly riffing on these ideas, but he's explicitly riffing on these ideas as a way of pointing at how technology can feel magical and Mm -hmm. how books still, if you take a step back and look at them and feel again, and I, I should get this because I'm watching my daughters read and my eight and a half year old is we can't make her stop reading to save our lives. And the six and a half year old is getting there. Mm -hmm. 
the way that the world opens up to you when you start reading. And I remember that as a kid. I remember the feeling of being pulled into a new world by a novel or being shown something new. Mm -hmm. I I had this experience with a book by theologian John Webster that I'm reading right now last night where something just – thoughts that I'd had that were kind of vaguely sitting there snapped into place with this kind of crystalline clarity because of a particular way that he said something – Books are like magic, and we're used to them. Yeah. But they they still feel that way when you first encounter their power, and especially in the era of the printing press, they were setting the world on its head. And the same way, technology today can feel like magic. What Google can do when you type in a query, or if you're like me and prefer DuckDuckGo, same, when you type in a query... That it can hand you the answer to almost any question you ask if it's about facts. That's an important distinction. Which is an important thing that the book makes clear. Yeah, but that feels like magic. The fact that I have a keyboard wired up here, and I'm not, I'm, I don't have it set up, so I'm not actually going to play the drum beat into the recording, but I could. Like, I, I could play my toms via my MIDI keyboard right here into the recording and into your ears. That feels like magic. And he he makes that almost explicit by the way he does it with his secret society and the reference to Dungeons and Dragons and everything else and reminds us in a good way that actually this stuff is kind of magical. It's, it's almost like a book length riff on Arthur C. Clarke's famous, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But while recognizing all the limits of technology at the same time, that joy in it, while also that it's kind of like a, Guys, really, really, like, can we can we laugh at ourselves a little along the way too? Can we recognize the absurdity of what we're doing too? And that is exactly the attitude I want to have in this space mm-hmm. of, yeah, the wonder of it is amazing. Stephen and I are having a conversation hundreds and hundreds of miles apart that will go to listeners literally all over the planet. Yeah. And who knows, maybe maybe somebody on the ISS listens to Winning Slowly. Oh, it's possible. If you do, please send us an email. Please tell us. Yeah. And I could play music into it and you could hear it. And like that's amazing. And we, we want to have appropriate degrees of skepticism about these things. Right. We want to have the kinds of cautions that... Everyone from Mary Midgley to the postmodern condition and Plato and everything in between, those cautions are good and right to hear, and we should hear them. And we should not let the joy in the technology obscure keep us from appropriate skepticism and appropriate criticism. But we should also be able to laugh at the wonder of the world around us and laugh at the ridiculous things people do in the world around us and take joy in the fact that we can do these crazy things and these wonderful things and maybe double extra, especially in fricking 2020. Yeah. And I will say that even going a step beyond that, the last two pages of this book are just some of the most beautiful pages I've read in a long time. And they have nothing to do with technology and everything to do with people and how you deal with people and what you should conduct your your life as and like and by and i think that's it was the book was so well written that at the end of the book when he's like here just in case you didn't catch it here are all the themes uh (laughs) i actually was like that's good it feels right like i i'm i'm in but yeah like this book leaves nothing to chance including whether you understood the themes or not like (laughs) that's right were you aware 
that this is what the book is about. I just wanted you to make sure that you knew. Without hitting you in the head with a hammer with I it. I mean, no, that it's a it's a hammer that you like, but it's a hammer. Like I'm not gonna read <laughs> Okay, fair. It's like a felt hammer. It's a hammer. felt it's hammer. Like... I'm not gonna read it to you, but it literally says this is what you should do. <laughs> it's so it's just a great book. And I I think Chris is absolutely right that the ways that we think about technology do not have to be grim all the time. Sometimes they have to be grim. Sometimes they can be very joyful. Sometimes they are, they just are. Like sometimes he just, they just are. They're the part of the world. Kind of shrug at it. Yeah. Yep. It struck me that we did our three-part attempt at an experiment in moral imagination Mm. a couple of years ago. Yeah. And in a very real way, he's not doing it as futurism. He's doing it very much in the present. These are both... Penumbras and Sourdough are books set right now, but they are experiments in moral imagination. They're experiments in what it would be like to feel the right way about technology. Yeah. And not, I I say it that way on purpose because he, Sloan probably wants you to think certain things, but even more than that, he wants your affections to point the right direction yeah. about this, to not be either under the sway of technology or terrified by it, but to be able to laugh at it and laugh with it and appreciate it and roll your eyes at it. All of these, he wants you to feel the right way about it. And that's so powerful. And what's really funny is that in my copy of the book, uh, George Saunders has the cover blurb and he is a pretty brutal satirist. And then Cory Doctorow has a, Mm-hmm. a note on the back and he is a pretty brutal satirist severe critic yeah but then you also have tucked in right at the end of the the front matter blurbs after all of like the glowing newspaper reviews and whatever is john hodgman who is one of my favorite comedians uh his book uh that is all is one of my all-time favorite books unfortunately you have to have read a lot of lovecraft before it's funny (laughs) but if you have that is all is absolutely hysterical and the fact that john hodgman who is an absurdist in its finest form is is here sort of tells you everything you need to know you've got two critics an absurdist and a bunch of people who are like it's just good so like literally the whole range of views on how to approach this situation are represented in like no but you should go read this book (laughs) yeah yeah it's somehow literary enough to win book awards and it is it really rewards close reading without ever feeling like this is a literary book. Have you noticed how literary I am? This is very... Yeah, this lit- is... It's, there's none of that. This is not atonement. I tried to read atonement <laughs> once, and I was like, I think I'm going to go wander in the heather for a while. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, this is not a literary book that wants to to drag you through the muck. Like This is an extremely tightly crafted book that has a lot to say in a few pages and really just does it well. Go read it. Do it. The music at the beginning was obviously awesome. We're still working on getting it sorted out. Maybe I'll just, you know, play some toms and we'll (laughs) call it the opening. And then switch to marimba because Stephen rightly pointed out that most of the book is marimba. There's one section that's definitely some low toms. (laughs) (laughs) The adventure part. There is an adventure part part of it. We will use it with permission. Yep. Whatever we put there. 
we'll we'll do it with permission and you should get permission and or buy it whatever the appropriate means is that's for right. you that's right if you want to support the show please don't because we're about to go on hiatus <laughs> yeah so that's what i was gonna say thank you to everyone who has supported the show via patreon yeah. on cash.me we're going to go on a hiatus and we it, it's gonna be months months at, at, at a minimum we don't really know for sure because we need Time and space. Yeah, I'm not even going to talk to Chris about this until March 15th. So it's a thing. The whole first quarter. Because 2020 was a year, kids. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, though, to everyone who has supported us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we will still be checking our email. Indeed. Stephen will still be checking. Chicken? Chicken at email. Chicken is not the right word. <laughs> chicken it, yo. I don't know what's even happening here at this point. Uh, we'll, we'll still be checking our Twitter and Facebook accounts Indeed. at Winning Slowly and Winning Slowly Podcast, respectively. So you can send messages there and he will look at them. Yep. Shout out to our friend Herb, who has started at season three and has been texting me consistently about the podcast thank you herb i'm sorry that you don't like the exact and total repetition of the theme song at the end of every episode it's happening right now sorry herb (laughs) on that happy note thanks thanks for for listening For the last one, I should like bust out the keyboard and play like a marimba version of the. You really should. Just for her. <laughs>